Please open your Bibles to Acts 28. We're reading from verse 17. Three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. After he said this, the Jews left, arguing vigorously among themselves. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. I was reading this week about a well-known Jewish rabbi called Yitzhak Kedori. He died in 2006, aged 108. And at his funeral, they reckon 200,000 people came to pay their respects. So this man, Yitzhak Kadori, uh, was a very well-known, famous, respected person. Just before his death, he claimed that he knew who the Messiah was. 
And what he did, he wrote this down on a piece of paper, put it in, in an envelope, but told his disciples, his followers, don't open this envelope containing who I think, Jesus, uh, who I think the Messiah is until I die. Well, on April 2007, his followers opened the envelope and to their surprise, he said that he felt that Yeshua, Jesus, is the Messiah. It really did shake things up. Some wanted to say it was all a forgery, inauthentic. Others said, this is what he wrote. We can recognize his handwriting, etc. But the fact that he wrote down, Jesus is the Messiah, shook things up for that Jewish community. In the same way, I think, Paul shook up things in the first century. Paul, remember, was a man who'd studied under Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee. He followed the law zealously to the, to the letter. And now he's going around not only to Jews, but to the whole known world, the whole Roman Empire, saying that Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, is the Messiah, the one promised in the Old Testament, in the law and the prophets. And Paul, like Yitzhak Kadori, really did shake things up. Three times we've uh, seen in the book of Acts that Luke, the writer, Luke, who's a Gentile, three times Luke records the conversion experience of Paul. So clearly for, for Luke, Paul's conversion experience, what happened next, was extremely, supremely important. Now, we have been following Paul for, for many weeks. Shortly after his conversion, he spent three years in the desert, in Arabia, thinking about things, studying the Old Testament, looking at the Old Testament with fresh eyes. And after that, he went round the whole Roman Empire, and he certainly stirred things up everywhere he went. We know he went on three missionary journeys around the known Roman world. And he went to all kinds of cities, Ephesus, the great city of Athens, the philosophical capital of the world, as it were, many minor cities. But he went everywhere on those three missionary journeys. And I guess that as we've gone through the Acts of the Apostles, you may, like me, just marvel at the unrelenting drive of this man, Paul. Now, this chapter we've read, and particularly the, the last bit, where a number of Jews come to speak to Paul and discuss and Paul, as it were, makes a defence. Uh, this is his sixth defence in the last four or five chapters. Remember, we looked at Paul in Jerusalem, um, where the, uh, the mob tried to arrest him and kill him after he'd mentioned the fact that uh, the Gentiles are part of God's purposes and plans. And then we saw a number two defence in the Sanhedrin, that Jewish ruling council, and remember there, Paul, in his great wisdom and cleverness, as it were, turned Pharisee against the Sadducees, the Sadducees against the Pharisees over the uh, 
doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. And then third, the third defense came with, uh, at Caesarea with Felix, the Roman governor there. And the fourth defense was with Festus. And then the fifth, Agrippa II. And now we have this sixth defense with Paul talking to the Jews who are at Rome. I just want to point out that uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20, Paul talks about himself being an ambassador in chains. He's in chains, but it's by the will of God. And uh, in this particular passage again, Paul talks about his, his views being in line with what he calls the hope of Israel. Israel had been waiting for a Messiah, the anointed one of God, who would rescue the nation from pagan domination, who'd rescue the nation and make the nation what it ought to be under God. They were waiting for Messiah. They had a particular understanding of what, what Messiah was going to do, and Paul differed in that. But the hope of Israel was waiting for Messiah and waiting for the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of the righteous who'd lost their lives um, because of their faith in God. And... Uh, at that time and uh, ever since for orthodox Jews they had uh, this kind of saying I believe in the coming of Messiah we are waiting for Messiah that was the traditional view and what Paul says when he's talking about the hope of Israel that he shares in the hope of Israel he's saying I'm not some kind of dissident I'm not some kind of heretic I am a true blue Jew and uh, that's very important for him he speaks about himself being within the hope of Israel in chapter 23 and verse 6 in chapter 24 and verse 14 and chapter 26 verse 6 that phrase the hope of Israel linked to the resurrection of the dead plants Paul he says right at the center of uh, Israel's doctrine that their hope for the future, that God would do a new thing, especially through the coming of Messiah. So let's pick up the story. In, in verse 21, it says there we have uh, the people who come to see Paul, the Jews, the Jewish leaders in Rome. We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking about this sect. So they, they come to visit Paul. Now, Paul is under house arrest. If you look at uh, verse 16, it says there, when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. And then later on, right at the end, it says in verse 30, Paul stayed there in his own rented accommodation and welcomed all who came to see him. Paul is under house arrest. Just how comfortable that was, we do not know. But he's also under guard. And it's interesting just to reflect on that because uh, I looked up the kind of normal way of 
guardian and a prisoner. And I found out that guards would be chained to Paul and they would be on six-hour shifts right through the day. And so a man would be uh, chained to Paul, uh, guarding him for six hours duty. Um, and I guess there'd be four guards uh, taking it in turns. Now, it's interesting to note that we have four letters in our New Testament which are written from Paul in Rome while he's under this house arrest. The four letters are the book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, and the book written to a friend of his, Philemon. And I just want to uh, turn your attention to uh, a very fascinating uh, passage in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2, where Paul says this, uh, chapter 4, he asked them to pray for him, these Colossian Christians, and he says this, uh, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in change, chains. And then uh, that comes through again and again in some of his writings. Uh, he's telling the people, pray for me, I'm in chains. Pray not for my release, but pray that I might be bold in the proclamation. Now, we getting back to uh, the Acts of the Apostles and Paul in Rome. We know from history that there was, we think, uh, possibly a minimum of seven and up to 12 synagogues in Rome at the time of Paul's getting there in the Acts 28 passage. And uh, I just want to uh, point out to you that uh, they arranged to meet Paul, verse 23, on a certain day. They came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. And this phrase, from morning till evening, he explained and declare to them the kingdom of God and try to convince them about Jesus from the law and the prophets. Morning to evening, all day long. Now again, uh, history shows us that the, these are probably 10 to 12 hour learning study days. Paul's taken them through all the Old Testament evidence for the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, that his death and resurrection had a cosmic significance. Just imagine sitting there from morning till evening, listening to Paul. They had a kind of a, a way of question and answer sessions in learning from the scripture and incredible Bible studies. In other words, real dedication, real wanting to know the truth, looking at passages. And Paul, of course, um, was anointed to do this by God. We need to ask ourselves about just how much we study the scriptures um, in this kind of real dedicated, real deep way. Incredible Bible study. But look, the result. Verse 24. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. 
Now, I want to say, and I think I've said this a number of times in our studies on Acts, we need to recognise that what happened here is, is our expectation. Not everybody is going to believe what we say about Jesus being the Christ, the anointed one of God. Jesus, they won't believe everything we say about his death and resurrection. And even a great, great exponent of the Christian faith, a man who had studied the scripture at, at the deepest level, even Paul cannot get everybody to believe. Others, he says in the text, would not believe. And they disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. Now, I just want to say that it's very important for us to grasp this when we are preaching the gospel, that there are going to be some who respond. There are going to be some who, who respond and uh, go away and think about it uh, and come back and ask more questions. But there will be some who will not respond, who will simply reject what we say. And the danger is that we do not open our mouths um, because we are afraid of that rejection of what we say, that we're afraid of failing uh, to convince people. We don't need to be afraid. Our responsibility is to preach, and we leave it up to God's Spirit to touch and convict people's hearts. I, I think we just need to recognize that even the great man Paul did not convince everybody. In fact, in some cases, he only convinced a few. But that's not our problem. That's uh, a problem for God, as it were, in the conviction of his Holy Spirit in people's lives. Well, Paul closes in a rather stark way. He, uh, he speaks to those who uh, would not believe by quoting a passage from Scripture, from Isaiah the prophet, is a very strong picture of willful uh, not hearing, willful not seeing, and that there is a price to pay. It's a very stark and obviously um, straight from Scripture comment, and it doesn't, it doesn't help Paul, does it, at all in that sense. And he, he says there that you know, from the fact that they've had this opportunity to receive the truth, They've turned it down. Paul will now go to the Gentiles, and he says they will listen. So, Paul is chained to guards, or, or guards, I should say. They're chained to Paul. I just wanted to reflect on that for a moment. Just picture this man, Paul, is speaking to all these people. He's chained to a guard. They are stuck with Paul, those, those guards, aren't they? And they, are, they must have heard all, all the argument, all the, all the debate, just by being there, by being chained to Paul. Again, I just want to draw your attention to, uh, again, a, a, a lovely little comment uh, which will help and it will help us understand the comment that Paul makes. In Philippians 1 um, and verse 12, this is Paul. Again, this is a letter written by Paul uh, from Rome in chains. And he says this, verse 12 of 1 Philippians 1, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served 
to advance the gospel. As a result, it has been become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. And I just want to go to chapter 4 of Philippians and verse 21 and 22, where Paul says this, Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Fascinating that Paul's imprisonment as a house arrest, his being in chains, did not limit the word of God going out. And it seems to be saying there in Philippians 4 that there were some within the Caesar's household, probably meaning some guards, some who got to know what Paul was preaching about, who worked in the palace. They became Christians. And so Paul is having an effect despite the fact he's under house arrest and he's in chains. Verse 30. For two whole years... Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. I said earlier in one of the earlier sermons that the last four years that we know about in Paul's life, he spent two years in prison in Caesarea and now he spends two years in Rome. Quite a a thought. As I reflected on that, I realized that God's assignment was Paul's confinement. Prison became, as it were, a pulpit for Paul. And uh, the last book by Paul that we have uh, recorded for us in the New Testament is Timothy, uh, Second Timothy. And I'd just like to read out a, a passage from Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verses 9 and 10. 8 and 9, rather. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see, what I'm saying there is that everything for Paul is an opportunity. Every situation, every circumstance, even here in this confinement, Paul sees it as an opportunity to speak of Jesus. And again, I I reflected that in this captivity, as it were, we have four New Testament books that I pointed out earlier. And I reflected on some of the other great men of of history from, from Christian perspective who were imprisoned and yet 
out of that came something very significant. Martin Luther, for instance, in the Reformation in the 16th century, he was confined, hiding from his opponents, um, shut up, you might want to say. But during that confinement in a castle hidden, he was able to write, translate the Bible from Hebrew and from Greek into everyday German. And what a gift to the German people that was. I thought of John Bunyan, who uh, was in prison uh, because he, he was speaking out against the, the, uh, the abuses of the church and uh, what he saw as being wrong. And he was put into prison. And uh, he wrote from prison that most marvellous and influential book, Pilgrim's Progress. So always see your, perhaps, the, the bad things of life, if you use that bad in the inverted commas, as opportunities for God to use you despite the circumstances. Well, we've travelled through the whole of Acts. Last week I mentioned that we started, I think, in September, October time. We've now had 29 sermons of the 28 uh, chapters, and it's been a most marvellous journey. And it seems to me that throughout this book, we see a number of things. We see the absolute commitment of people like Paul and the others to go and share the gospel. We see them being very open to the, to the spirit of God. We see God's purpose, that the Christian gospel goes out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And we see how this all happened and we see how Paul's great desire was always to end up in Rome and that's where he ends up and that's where his ministry continues to to have a great great influence so I hope you've had a you've enjoyed our studies in Acts keep reading it there's so much there and uh, I I wish that uh, we uh, could all kind of get lots of lessons from this book And maybe the the, the most fundamental lesson is that we have a responsibility. We have a call to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, Jesus Christ as the Christ, the Messiah. And that we may pray that the Holy Spirit will give us the boldness that we need to preach Christ in our culture.